Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Practical Guitarist, or on Twitter as at Practical Guitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com. And donate to us via Patreon, available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hello, Jim. Ooh, hi, I'm Jim. The voice you are now hearing is Satan. No, it's it's, uh, it's, it's David. The future. And, and I'm not possessed, I promise. But this is going to it's going to be our first Halloween episode, even though we were around last Halloween, we didn't do one. We were. We, well, we didn't really think of Halloween as being a thing. Yeah. And I think um, there's been a lot of scary shit that's going on in the guitar world in the last couple of days. And I think it's, there it's are. worth mentioning. Um, so, t- so tonight's episode, we're going to talk about the Jimmy Page Telecaster. And uh-huh. that's just been announced from Fender, kind of leaked sort of thing. Um, yep. I don't know if you consider it a leak. They had a video that kind of featured like Jimmy Page and it was pretty obvious what they were doing. Somebody um, from Fender may have taken a leak. That may have been the case. And then we also have uh, the Boutique World, which is, which is according to some people, starting to collapse. Um, yeah. So, but we have, a, we have a very special and scary ghost story to tell you at first about a specific builder. And I'm going to start, and I'm not going to mention their name at first. I'm going to, I'm going to start and I want to talk about their history. And then we'll, we'll mention their name at the end. And we'll kind of talk more about this whole like shenanigans issue thing. So there's a builder and I'm sure some of the listeners will know this person. Um, Their exploits are legendary. Uh, They started off actually as a small builder sometime, I want to say in like the early 2000s, around 2003. So right when I was graduating high school and they were a company called Effector 13. And um, they didn't really have a whole lot of success at it and they were really having some issues with, you know, just running a business and not understanding how it works. So they sold Effector 13 and its associated designs to another company who ran it for a while under the same name and eventually folded. Okay. So this person decided that they were not going to continue in the pedal business and they kind of got out of it. Then in 2005, a little around 2005, the same person that created Effector 13 started a new company called Devi Ever Effects. So by this point, you're probably aware of who this might, you might be aware of who this is. This is Devi Ever, the uh, proprietor of Devi Ever Effects. Um, so 
Devi ever uh, ran a company producing basically fuzz pedals as the majority of the range, a couple of overdrives. This uh, continued until 2013 when uh, Devi ever was working on this crazy, because a lot of her pedals wound up being uh, Nintendo themed and like video game sound effects. Um, she came up with this idea of the console, which would be like, uh, it looked like an Atari and you would put cartridges into it to get different effects. And it was just kind of a cool, like kitschy thing. Um, she put up a uh, Kickstarter for this, uh, raised $40,000, and then basically said, fuck it, I'm not making it. Took the money and ran. Okay. Um, I would say this was a crowdfunding circus. When this happened, uh, the effects world was on meltdown because Debbie Ever was at that time probably at the peak of what she was doing. Uh, she was extremely popular. She had wait lists for a lot of her products. Um, and she just felt her, her statement at the time, if I recall, was something to the effect of, I'm not making enough money at this. I really want to pursue my real passion, which is pixel art and video game design. And so I'm going to fold Debbie ever. Sorry to everybody that, you know, I'm walking away. Uh, really, if I recall, was not really a whole lot of statement about the fact that she took everybody's $40,000 and didn't deliver a product. Um, promptly sold the, the company to dwarf craft devices, including all the designs they're in. Uh, Dwarfcraft actually still continues to produce a lot of the original Debbie Ever effects. Um, things like the Hyperion, I think there's, they make. Um, and uh, with everyone thought at the time that that would be the end of Debbie Ever back in 2013 in the gear world, right? Um, Debbie Ever had some, I want to say some issues right before the closure of her company with a specific individual so for those of you that are not annoyed, Debbie Ever happens to be a trans individual. Um, she had a she had a situation with uh, Billy Corgan, if I recall, who's one of her endorsers. Well, who used her effects, right? They had a conversation. He wanted a very spe- specific type of effect. Debbie said she could provide it. She provided it to him, and then promptly took that pedal and made it a Billy Corgan signature model without his approval. Okay, uh, Billy Corgan, when he found out about this, flipped the fuck out. Uh, went all over Twitter, Facebook, and other places saying that Debbie Ever was, he had a lot of choice words, uh, some that were involving her her um, her gender, and it, it's a whole thing. Um, it was it was not very becoming of him. Uh, it was more based around the fact that she had misled him about their about their business relationship and um, was abusing his name without his his knowledge. Uh, I don't think, I mean, I think everything that was said there was out of anger and not necessarily to be politically incorrect or anything like that. Uh, fast forward, so she, her business folds, which may or may not be as a result of, of some of that fallout. Um, I don't think it was, and and I, um, we can examine why, because obviously she'd already done this once with the Vector 13, selling it off to another company and then walking away. Um, and so Dwar- Dwarfcraft took over the pedal line. She disappeared for two years, apparently going to do video games and, and pedal art. Uh, actually, I don't even think it was two years. She was back in 2014, I thought. Um, so she came back on the scene in 2015. Wait, I'm looking at this article, trying to figure out exactly when she came back. I believe it was in 2015. And when she came back, the crazy thing was she hadn't really had any... Okay, so she went off to do video games, right? No video games came out credited to her. There was no pixel art of hers used in a video game as far as I know. You can look at her social media accounts, um, which is like Facebook.com slash DeviEverFX and uh, Twitter.com slash FuzzGoddess. I know FuzzGoddess was like the most uh, 
most used one. I there was a lot of stuff on her Twitter account years ago. Um, the reason why I have followed this story is because I was I, I was interested at the time. Of course, she makes fuzz pedals, right? So I, I I that's how I became aware of them. Um, but I started to follow her because she had controversy following her everywhere, and I didn't understand why. Like the situation with Billy Corgan and others. Um, and if, oddly enough, she goes into the video game world and she gets wrapped up in Gamergate. Now, for those of you who are not aware of get, what Gamergate was, uh, it's a whole thing. A lot of people have accused it of being a misogynist plot. I don't know what it, whether it is or not, but I will tell you this much. There was a game called Depression Quest that was made by uh, a young lady, um, and it got rave reviews. But it was not a very good game, according to most people, because it was nothing but a web page that you navigated through. Um, and the reason it, quote unquote, got rave reviews was allegedly because she had traded sex for good reviews. Um, I'm not saying I, I know if this story is true or not. I'm just saying this is what was reported. And Debbie Ever was in the middle of this controversy uh, all over her social media putting people on blast. I believe she was somehow involved with the, the woman that was responsible for uh depression quest, the game. It's a whole thing. You can, you can read about it if you, if you're interested in that kind of drama. But my point is that this drama followed her into the other world, right? So, so when she comes back to pedals, I believe it was in 2015, might've been, might've been 2016. Um, it's kind of a triumphant return. Everybody thought, um, problem. Uh, dwarf craft owns a lot of the designs and pedals that she originally made. Um, so she sues Dwarfcraft or at least threatens to sue Dwarfcraft and at least has some pretty serious legal conversations with them about, you know, reacquiring her designs. To my knowledge, she does not. Um, and she continues to, and she continued to make pedals after that under her own label. I forget what the name of the, uh, the company was that she, that she started right after that. Um, but the point is she continued to make pedals and now, as of like was like October twenty sixth or twenty seventh, she has announced that she is leaving the game again, and basically has admitted that I cannot I cannot uh, give you your money back. I am taking your money. Um, this sucks. I hate my life. Um, she blamed a lot of it on on issues with her own well personal issues. Obviously, she has some some personal situations that could be a problem there, but. Uh, as a word of warning to our podcast listeners, uh, clearly there is something else going on here. And this has been a problem since 2003 for her. Um, make a company, sell the company for cash, make a company, sell the company for cash and pocket the remaining money that was sitting there. And then basically do the same thing. Um, a, a third time, uh, you know, fool me once, you know, you, you know, that saying, this is just ridiculous. Um, yeah, George Bush said it worst. Because um, he said something like, <laughs> he said everything fool worse. me once, and he couldn't remember the quote, so he went, fool me once, shame on you, or something like that. And then he went, fool me twice, shame Bye, you me. know the saying. Then he went like this, you know the saying, because he couldn't remember the Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Well, I was um, running out of breath. I had to take a big, big drink right after that. I, so yeah, you kind of you kind of said that as one big sentence. I don't um, know how I got through that whole thing. I was going to read her so, statement, but I'm not gonna. It's I, not. I, so I want to stay away from that because there's a lot of controversy in it. We don't want to. Yeah. We don't want to look like we're, we're taking a side. We're not or, talking about the gender. I want to make this very clear to our listenership. 
Her gender problems are her gender problems. They have nothing right. to do with her business. Nothing. Right. And, and her personal problems, right? Just, just because you are, a, and that's what we're getting at, we're, we're going to come back to, but we just want you to understand that we're not, we're not trying to take a side on that. We're not trying to go one way or the other. Um, the, the fact is that when you're running a company, you have a bad day, you have a good day, you take a day off, you maybe go see some help. You know, you know what you don't do? You don't drive the company into the ground because you have a bad day. And you um, sure, do you sure don't you, do it three times. <laughs> no. And so I want to ask you, David, because you would know better than me because I've never, I've never given money to Kickstarter. Right. Um, I have, I have thought about it. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, Nita Strauss's new album, I've thought about, uh, doing my, my pre order through Kickstarter. Cause you get some bonuses. Yeah, but, you, sure. Yeah. But, um, the point is, um, uh, and salt and pepper was it salt and pepper? Yeah. Salt and pepper, salt and pepper, the, the nineties or eighties, uh, um, rap band, mm-hmm. they, um, uh, did the same thing. They, Lots of, in, lots of bands have used it. I mean, that's yeah. Jason Sedidis used it for his last two records, I believe. Yeah. Um, but if it's one thing, if you can't complete it, um, with the funds, it's another thing. If you get, yeah, 40, the, 000, I believe if you don't complete and, with the funds, the funds get returned on Kickstarter. I think that's yeah. And that's the thing. So what happens with these funds that don't, they were with, completed. She didn't follow through. So she took the money and ran. Okay, so that's a, you know that is I mean that's out now thievery. You can look uh, up um, if you're interested. You can look up the console two cartridge based multifex guitar pedal. Excuse, excuse me. <laughs> Sorry, folks. His his cat <laughs> is literally standing on top top of his keyboard, like right under his microphone. Yeah, and I'm sneezing at the same time. <laughs> and he's sneezing at um, the cat. So the console it's a spooky cat. No, it's a very spooky cat. Yeah, right. Uh, this is a Halloween episode. Con- shit. Uh, console two cartridge based multi effects guitar pedal, right? You can look that up and you can, and you can find out about, about that whole mess. Honestly, Um, as a, as a, um, uh, as a growing up in the Atari and Nintendo world, I mean, I grew up, um, in my teenage years, it was Pong. Well, I hate to, you know, date myself, but it was Pong was, there was Atari, um, in my late, how old are you? When I say late (laughs) teens, I want to say that the Atari 2600 hit the shelves at like, I was like 17 or 18. What, what you're trying to say is your kids played the Nintendo. <laughs> yes. And my, well, no, I didn't have kids yet. So it was me. I was very childish, but um, yeah, I had Nintendo and PlayStation one and all that. So uh, to me, that sounds, I mean, this is the first time I've ever heard of it, but it sounds like a really cool thing. Like a, you know, like a little Nintendo unit. That would pop yeah. The I, I, honestly, when I saw it, when it came out originally, I was like, you know what? It's not something that I think I would buy. Um, but at the same time, it was she was going to license the uh, the cartridge technology to other manufacturers as well. Right. So the whole idea behind it was like um, there were other pedal builder, builder, uh, pedal builders that she was that she was um, listing with this pedal as like people who are interested in the thing. Let me let me read off some of the names that that had expressed interest in maybe developing cartridges: Three Leaf Audio, Amp Tweaker, Analog Man, Blakemore Effects, Caroline Guitar Company. Doctor Scientist, Dwarfcraft, Earthquaker Devices, uh, Empress, um, all pretty much a who's who of anybody in the Wampler, even um, at that uh, time. Huh? Yeah, for that time, because remember, you got to go back. This 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 device was proposed in 2012. Okay, so there were still. I mean, 
it's kind of niche in that we had uh, cards that you could stick software on. So this would have had to also have um, some hardware interface. Actually, like, this was a this was a multi-pin connector. It was going to be completely analog. Oh, there you go. So that 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 makes sense. Yeah. So it, was, it, it wouldn't make sense to have it and then all of it just be a digital. Yeah, and card. actually, if you think about the way that this actually works, it's just controls and right. connectors for the internet. You know, the ins and outs, and then you know some. It's nothing more than a breadboard. That's what it is. Right. It's it's right. A, a hardware breadboard. Um, I had some issues with the idea of having a console at your feet with these cartridges sticking out of the top on a board. Um, I don't think this was ever aimed at like professional guitar players. This was aimed at hobbyists who like. I wondered why ideas. somebody had. Yeah, somebody had said something about take your thing out, blow on it, put it back in. Somebody had referenced that. I wasn't really sure what that was all about, so that must be it. So, so okay, so some interesting stuff, some funny stuff. I mean, um. But but what it comes down to is this, and this is this is uh, what I think we're getting at, or at least I I'm reading from this is when you go to a boutique builder, whether it's through Kickstarter, um, hopefully Kickstarter has some protection um, or whatever. Um, it's you it, at least you should you should protect yourself because when there's an individual. Um, at the other end of this, and no, and it's no secret that uh, Robert Keeley went through some some stuff uh, in the what, early two thousands, right? It was probably around two thousand three. Correct, correct. Two thousand two. I know no, because a friend a, of it mine. It was a long while. It actually lasted a really long time. Yeah, uh, a friend of mine had a pedal in the. Um, I want to say like Keeley the used the mods sparkle effects or something, um, or sparkle drives or something. Yeah, yeah. But he, anyway, anything it was a uh, tube screamer. I mean, pretty much. Yeah. So my um my buddy had one in the um in the quaffer so to speak and it took a lot longer than it would normally take to throw a few a, a short mod on there and, and send it back. I want to say it took almost two and a half years, two years. Um so you now we're not saying like that Robert Keeley's company is a bad company now. It's obviously No, we're just saying that everybody well. battles personal demons. Everybody right. does. And it can affect your business, and I, I think I think it would, we would be remiss if we didn't point out that you know if you go to a boss like a boss pedal or boss company, um, Roland, it's Roland. a bigger structure. There's more people in place. There's more checks and balances. There's less likelihood of somebody at the top being an alcoholic or something like that and affecting the business down the chain because they have things in place to protect them. Even right. I mean, just basic stuff. Right. I mean, um, when you're dealing we, we with sole proprietorship, I mean, yeah. you don't, you really don't know. I mean, look, I, the, the reason we brought this up, yes, this is a Halloween episode. And frankly, Debbie ever situation and how, how this happens to people repeatedly in the, in the gear world is a horror story. Um, Debbie ever clearly has a long history of behavior that, uh, towards her customers that is not acceptable. And right. yet, People still continue to pay this woman for effects, and I'm not. I, I I know that in two years, she will either be back on her own, or she will be working right. with somebody else, and people will be buying her stuff again. Yeah, there's obviously something there. I mean, there has to be. I mean, but I don't know. I I'd never heard of it until you mentioned it today. Um, but taking that outside of that, there of course. Uh, oh, by the way, Jim, I didn't go over all the controversies. 
she's had arguments with GHS about ripping her pedals off and her yeah. ripping other people's pedals off. And then, of course, a lot of the designs she's making now are ripoffs of what Dwarfcraft currently makes that she designed originally. So, right. But they bought a whole right. fucking thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so now she's then, copying. Essentially. Right. And, the, <laughs> and the thing is that one would say, well, you can't copy yourself. Well, actually, in a legal sense, you can. And a legal I, sense, can I think this is I think that. this is one of those gray areas in terms of morality. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I also think that, look, she's breaking the law and uh, she's playing with your money doing it. Uh, right. Which which is a problem because if she got sued. None of her assets are protected. It's pretty clear right. at this point that if she's able to walk away with forty thousand dollars in money from her company, she's not embezzling from her own company. That's pretty clear at this point. Yeah. Um, because I'm sure somebody was called on that. And people have gotten in more trouble for less. So it sure sounds to me. And, and by the way, with as many blues doctors and uh, rock doctors and blues lawyers that are, are out there, I yep. guarantee you they looked into this. Some lawyer was like, man, I, if I if I could, I would. Um, yeah. But, you know, when you take up when you take up the um, the, the pitchfork, you know, the, yeah, the pitchforks and stuff. Uh, there, there are issues as we've we explained before, and we don't want to touch on them yeah, for the reasons that there, somebody there would probably not issues. touch this. With a, and in this, and in this case, poll. right? There's the social reasons that there's, would probably there's social be. and political issues that really nobody's going to touch us for, especially for so little. Let's say a lawyer took this on. Let's say, let's say both um, they could get every single. It would have to uh, be a, a person for two. So it would be eighty thousand um, dollars legal fees. You'd the lawyer might walk away with what. Fifteen, twenty thousand dollars at the most. Yeah, I mean, it really not I, worth actually, time actually really in this case, this would be a small claims court case. I mean, I don't even think it would be like that, but it would just be the time and effort involved in it. Right. And that's then, what I'm saying. There's not enough money in it. Right. It, it wouldn't. But it's, it we're wouldn't not talking be, about thousands and thousands of dollars. We're talking right. about literally going to small claims court and coming out with two hundred fifty bucks. The money. Well, you put it's in. one thing, like yeah, like when there was the uh, the thing that Verizon did, they wound up having to pay. I remember getting a check for like two dollars or ten dollars in the mail because it was a it was a class action lawsuit. I didn't even know what was going on, but this person took up. But it's because it was worth millions of dollars um, at ten dollars a piece. Correct, know, whatever it was, Correct. But less their fees, and of course they automatically took out their fees, and I didn't care. That was ten dollars. I didn't know I had. So, you know, I mean, so but, um, the yeah, the thing is, we we. So, seen, how do you protect yourself, David? How do you protect yourself when it comes to? I just uh, um, I don't want to mention the company, but um, so a Facebook friend of mine was a um, signature guitarist for a company, and uh, he had pre-ordered his guitar. They kept telling him, you know, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. It didn't come, it didn't come. Um, they said he would have something. This was just as recent. It was just last month. It was September. They had no pictures. They had nothing to show him. Nothing. He finally said, that's it. And the way he protected himself in that case was he had used a credit card. He was able to say to the credit card company, look, um, you need to get your money back. Right, right. Uh, well, I mean, I just got burned on eBay. Everybody, uh, you need to understand, whenever you put down money on something that is not made already, you are taking a risk. Unless you're walking into a retail store, putting your money down and getting something in your hand and walking away, you are taking a risk. But understand that 99.999% of the people selling things are trying to be legit. It is the 0.0001% people. Actually, I screwed that math up, but it's the, the this percent of people that are the Debbie Evers of the world who right. are not afraid 
to take advantage of a situation that they're in. And um, I would say that the best way that you can protect yourself is first be on the up and up, read about people. Yes, of course, Debbie Everett probably seemed fine back when uh, she was doing Effector 13. Um, I believe that was prior to her going into her, her uh, trans state. She would have mailed back then. Um, it has been alleged that some of the money that she, quote, unquote, embezzled, if you want to look at it from that perspective, uh, was used for an operation. I don't know if that's the case or not. That may be people running their mouths. Um, yeah. th- the point is that once you look at these people and you kind of evaluate, especially if you're dealing with a sole proprietor, you kind of evaluate what they're doing. You can get a pretty accurate depiction of what's going on. Ask around. Talk to the other people that bought. Did you have a bad experience? Because I'll tell you what. Other people were already seeing behaviors from Debbie Ever that were questionable. Um, yeah, well, Billy Corgan's not r- quite. You know, right, I'm not talking about him. You're not going to have a conversation with him in a forum. If you go no. back and you dig through gear page articles and stuff from back then, you will find people saying things like, I waited, you know, six months for my pedal. Like, right. what the hell is the deal here? Um, right. And, you know, things like that. Or like I put a deposit down and then I was asked to put more money down, which means uh, you put the deposit down and then your money got spent on something else and she still needs the materials to complete the project. There was another company that was doing that recently. There are lots of companies that have done um, that. Yeah, it was, a, it was a guitar pedal company. They were saying, oh, yeah, we need some more money. We need some more money. But there was no product. Yeah, uh, that would be Gear Supply Co. Was that who it was? Yeah, Gear Supply yeah. Co. did the they did the Kickstarter for their for their pedal line, and they were paying another company to build the pedals for them. And it was a private builder, and it was just it, the whole that whole situation was a clusterfuck. It, it wound up being just as bad as this. And actually, in the forum where they were discussing this, and I I kind of got involved in it. Um, it, it was extremely clear to me that Gear Supply Co. what they did was just as bad, if not worse, than Devi ever. Um, at least Debbie ever has the emotional instability issues that, that, you know, come into play here. It's pretty clear that there's something wrong, this situation, albeit whatever it is. Um, but in the case of gear supply, it was just mismanagement, bad mismanagement yeah. and, and, uh, promise of product that was not going to exist. Um, yeah. unfortunately, um, you see this all too often when I started to see pedal builders going on to, uh, uh, Indiegogo and uh, Kickstarter to try and finance their pedals. I I quickly realized this is a disaster waiting to happen because we already know of the horror stories of people putting money down on things. Um, I have pre-ordered and put money down on a couple of devices in my playing career. Uh, one of them was a two-month wait. The other one was a three-week wait. One of them was done in the course of the show. That was when I bought my uh, my Sunface. The other one was my Ethos Overdrive. I did not feel comfortable with either of those situations, even though I know analog man's totally reputable. I've never heard of anybody not getting an effect from him on time. Um, and the other thing is uh, going back so far as, you know, the King of tone, he will not take a deposit for those things. You get on a wait list. You don't put any money down until it's time. Until it's your time. So point is reputable dealers don't require a deposit every single time. If you don't trust this person, and I mean, trust this person. I wouldn't give him my money. I'd say, look, best I'm willing to do is a 25% deposit. You know, if you're right. buying a $200 pedal, 50 bucks up front, okay. If they really yeah. need your money to, to, to finance the pedal, because I understand, like, some of that deposit money goes into the materials. 
But realistically, if you're a real business and you're taking care of customers, chances are you probably have the parts and the parts aren't that expensive. So, yeah, I was. So uh, the pedal company I was referring to, and I don't know if it was Gear Supply Co. Because I'm, I'm going to step away for a about, second. Go ahead. Yeah, the person was talking about uh, um, they needed money. And no, it was a guitar company. And um, they had built these guitars or that he was building these guitars. And he got on um, and said, hey, I'm I'm behind. Oh, he was. Oh, yeah, he was a YouTuber. Um, oh, shoot. Uh, guitar somebody. And uh, um, he he was the one that he started the whole um, the the whole uh, tone woods don't mean anything controversy. I remember that. That's the guy because he what happened was he did a similar thing. He had a big breakdown. He was on YouTube. I'm pulling my channel. I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, I'm not going to let anybody uh, make uh, comments on my channel. Um, and, uh, long story short, he yanked his channel off of, uh, I, re- I remember that. I don't remember yeah, the guy's it's, name. It's, it's professor or something. I don't yeah, remember. It, yeah. It was like a doctor. Yeah. Or well, he came across like he was a professor. He had, yeah. a, you know, I think he sniffed a few too many of those markers. A person. Uh, yeah. He was, like, he was like, yeah, the YouTube channel is just not making as much as it used to. It, you know, it keeps the lights on, you know, it pays the light bill and, and he was looking got, for any excuse he could to take your money. Yeah, but he had he said, I, I, you know, I've got these guitars I've been asked to do, but I, I'm just not going to be able to do it. And he did a similar thing. The thing I don't get is so Debbie ever did this. This guy did this. Scott Scott something or other did this, too, on his YouTube channel. He was one of those hate hate mongers. Yeah, he was always um, he was the one who said uh, he was the one he was his way to the highway guy. And he would go, uh, you know, other people are, are telling you to do this. They're doing it wrong. Salvage and, custom went this way too. Yeah. Anyway, they get they get online and they make this whether it's in YouTube or it's on Facebook or it's in Twitter, whatever. They make this huge, huge, you know, ten page thesis, better than anything they wrote for college, to go on and on about. Oh, I stubbed my toe and that cost me fifteen dollars medical bills. Blah blah blah. And then. Um, but I'm not looking for sympathy 25 pages down the road or whatever, you know, but I'm not looking for sympathy. Well, if you weren't looking for sympathy, you would have said, I got some personal shit going on. I don't, I, I'm not going to share it. I'm not because I'm not looking for sympathy. That would be okay, it. Okay. So you know what I mean? Here's where, here's where I came in on this whole thing. Cause nobody's reading 10 pages down to see this. Sure. Sure. Um, when I had this discussion with my wife, she, she's familiar with Debbie ever. We go way back talking about pedals, specifically Debbie Everett stuff, because of, um, well, it's it just being, you know, when I was growing up and looking at fuzz pedals, and she used to watch videos when I'd have them on TV. Um, so what what we came to the, to the conclusion is some pedal builders, now remember, these people are not making a living doing this, okay? The vast no, majority of the really of small builders are not making a majority, or majority of their living doing this. Your bigger companies like your Catalan Breads, your uh, Robert Keeleys, you know, Wampler. your Wamplers, they're probably paying the bills. Okay, now we know they are because Wampler, for example, you know, has has mentioned like this is his only job. JHS, for example, um, they've built their companies into an empire, and they're you know they have five or six employees, good benefits, and they're taking care of everything. Um, now these are often the pedal companies that people say, 
well, really, their pedals are really overpriced. Well, that's because they're paying wages. Okay. Um, so to back up and look at Debbie Ever's situation, I would say, and and I may be wrong on this, but I would guess her her sales volume is is just a step above somebody like um, uh, Pelican Noise Works, right? So Leon over at Pelican Noise Works, I think he actually has some friends that may help him build some of the some of the effects. Um, but Leon and uh, you know, I I have a a, a decent relationship with him. I've, I've talked to him via Facebook several times. Um, I I don't get the impression that he doesn't have a day job, okay? And I think I think most of your small private builders, in order to pay the bills, have a day job. That's where the problem comes with Devi Ever. Devi Ever does not have a day job, so every time something goes wrong, it's either paid for out of pedal proceeds, or it's one of those things where Devi Ever knows that her situation sucks and it's not going to improve because the business is not improving. Now, my simple answer to that is, and I know people will shun me for saying this, but get a fucking job. Do like the rest of us. Look, I have guitar as my hobby. I play guitar probably just as much as I work. And the reality is I work because I need money. I'm not going to make that money playing guitar. Um, I understand that. So I just see it as like, okay, if you really love building pedals and you want to make a little bit of money at it, that's when you're a Debbie Ever level builder. When you want to make a living at it, you have to have the business intelligence to make it work. And I'm not talking about reporting and stuff. I'm just not understanding like how you build a business model. And it, for, in all honesty, she had like 14 fuzz pedals at one point. It, like That's not how you build a business. Okay. You build a business by uh, capturing a large audience. And so you want to have a little bit of everything to offer that audience. And granted, you can be you can be the niche person, but you have to be really good at it, and you have to be better than everyone else. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Devi at some point along the path was just as big as a as a Keeley or a Wampler of that time, but I don't. I just don't see it. I have not seen enough Devi ever stuff in the wild to believe that. I have seen plenty of Wampler and and Keeley modded stuff over the years. Um, so that that's where I stand. Main thing is. Um, Watch yourself when you're when you're making online transactions. Do a little bit of research. Five minutes on the gear page can do a lot. Um, make sure that you know this person's on the up and up. And even then, understand that you are taking a risk because at some point, one of these people may fold and it may come from come out of nowhere. Um, in case of you know, uh, um, we were talking about salvage custom. They made custom pedal boards. They folded overnight. Uh, and actually business was quite good. The problem was they couldn't keep up. They couldn't make the, they couldn't make boards fast enough. And so they slowly started to get into debt because he was hiring additional people to help out. And it just became one of these things where they grew the business too fast and they took every order that came across the table. Um, typically what a builder should do. And, and I, I say this with the utmost respect. I hope people understand this is not to be a dick move. But what a builder should do if they have that high of demand is to either build to stock, and that's all they do. We're not taking special orders. You have to get what is in stock. Or, number two, you raise prices because you have to keep the demand low. It's that simple. Yeah, it's a tough one. Coming from, uh, coming from the world of um, the uh, uh, manufacturing in the past, 
prices, even even as little as a penny, can affect your sales. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's it's crazy. I mean, I'm not so sure. I, again, I don't know the pedal world as well, but I do know the electronic world in the in the you know well, just, between cars and. But just and, think about it this this way, right? So, if if your company and you have a rare product like the Ibanez Chiva, for example, uh, when it was coming out, and uh, you've listed it at a price that's very attractive and has generated more sales than you're planning to produce the the product, what do you do? raise prices because you realize demand sets the price okay this is basically the same thing um but it fortunately i don't think many of us even those of us from the manufacturing background which i i have experience in manufacturing as well um have ever been in the fortunate position to say you know what this is priced too low that's why we have so much demand on it yeah yeah all right so um other scary news yeah yeah well i don't think this is as scary but but it's certainly a uh there's a story yeah Behind it. Yeah. So in, in 2000, and I want to say it was 2004, Les Paul or Gibson came out with Les Paul for Jimmy Page. And it was a, it was an identical to his, oh, I want had, to say it was they've a 58 than, or 59. They've had more than that one. Well, they made one in I'm the just saying, yeah, mid-90s too. Yeah, I'm just saying the most recent one. That was the custom out, shop one, yeah. Yeah, it was a custom shop edition. It was, a, it was really just an R9 or an R8. Um, with Paige's approval and some cigarette burns in a few spots and such. And the face um, switching. Yep. And uh, they um, they released it. It was one of those ones where, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of the custom shop stuff, um, at least in Gibson, uh, before it even gets, the word gets to the street, there are certain people who get phone calls and, and they're, they're asked, Do you, are you interested? Because these, these collectors go at them quicker than you can yeah. spit. So. Um, a lot of times the Mark Knopfler, the Jimmy Page, the Pete Townsend, the um, Alex Lifeson and so on and so forth, they're spoken for before you even get a chance to see them, even in today's electronic modern world. And back then it was a lot slower. It basically but requires anyway, a special agreement with your dealers not to have that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, long story short, um, these things came out, I want to say they were a 9000 Dollar price tag or ten thousand dollar price tag. And they were very pricey. But you couldn't touch one for like sixteen grand or you know eighteen grand. And then so I just recently I posted one um, in the um, in our group, uh, and it went for it, it's on sale now for twenty three thousand. It would probably go for twenty thousand, but it's up on reverb for about twenty three twenty four thousand. Um, going along with that, so today. Every, the Facebook and, and uh, Twitter and so on and so forth is a flutter with the fact that Fender is finally releasing um, a Telecaster. A Jimmy Page a Jimmy Telecaster. Page. Um, okay. So, and everybody's like, everybody's acting like they know some piece of trivia that you've never heard of. <gasps> Did yeah, you know fucking that everybody Jimmy knows Page? that Jimmy Page played a lot of shit on a Telecaster. If you don't know that these days, where the fuck have you been? Yeah, you you don't know anything about Jimmy Page if you don't didn't know he played a freaking Telecaster with the Yardbirds and on um, a lot of the recordings um, and almost predominantly and live. Right, on the and first live. Yeah. Well, he played a Dan Electro too. I haven't seen yeah, that signature Dan, Dan Electro. Yeah, I know, like, right? Well, um, let's face so, it: modern Dan Electros are nothing like those were. No, no, because they were that was a completely different company, really. Yeah. 
it's just a name now. Um, right. But anyway, so everybody's a flutter, and it's like so. If you read the article, which most people just plastered the article and didn't even read it, I did. The article is is quite simple. There's going to be two custom shop versions, and there's going to be four guitars. So like your box tops and your covers of Guitar World from the '90s, collect all four. Yep. Um, <laughs> You know, you gotta you gotta make sure you get the all the teen beats that have got you know, um, Leaf Garrison and well, uh, or you know. So, so anyway, you make the line up. So it, it, they're all different colors. They're all, uh, no, because it, it raw, started incor- well, it incorrect, started as a incorrect, blonde. Incorrect, Jim. There's two different colors. Yeah, and, and they have not been revealed yet either, because no. it is believed one will actually have the mirror thing that he did to the right. guitar, and the other one will have the dragon. So right. nobody knows if that's the case or not. Well, but they might do a blonde and the dragon or the mirror. That's yeah, just it. Right that's now what, it's all speculation. I think the dragon is probably the one that they're going to do with the blonde, frankly, but that's me. Yeah. Two of them are custom shop. And I don't know. The other two are going to be not production custom. Lo- no, they're production yeah, level. They're production. They are production level. They said right. that. Right. That's in the article. Yeah. I, I didn't know if I missed that because you said that. Uh, but I did know there's 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 different colors. I'm willing to bet that the two that come out in production don't look anything like the custom ones at the maybe at the surface. The the production ones will be damaged. They will they right. will be relict. The but like modern the, the regular ones will not be. It's the same like thing the as the Paisley Gilmore. One. No, it's like it's yeah. gonna be like the Gilmore thing. Look, yeah. they did the black strat custom shop version that was all beat right. to hell, and then they did the production version that was basically pristine. Yeah. And that's it. I mean I just don't see it. I mean, it's news. I just can't say, I just can't believe the, the, the buzz over a guitar that frankly has been 30, 40 years too late. (laughs) I don't feel, I don't feel that this is too late. I think this is one of those situations though, where, um, for people who, you know, grew up on Led Zeppelin, our depiction of, of Jimmy is always the pictures of him in the black pants with the moon on him jumping up in the air and hitting the Les Paul, right? Um, and it, it, ha- it has a lot to do with the fact that the majority of what we know of Jimmy Page comes from Song Remains the Same. My fucking cats, man. I swear to... No, I'm laughing my ass off because both of them are playing around with these papers. Yeah, to, there's just paper here. Like, what right. the fuck? There's nothing on it, you dumbasses. <laughs> God. You're going to have all the people on my podcast thinking I'm an animal abuser. No, nope, he just lets them climb all over. I just his let stuff, him do man. everything. It's ridiculous. It's like having <laughs> two kids you can't tell no to. That that brown one. What which one is the the little brown one right now? The one the next one to you. Far, oh, that's Michonne over here. And then that's Michonne Merle. Yeah, Michonne is almost always in David's lap at some point. Yeah, the or on the or on the back of the chair, standing over my shoulder. Hat. It's like a parrot. Um, so I I think I think that's where she wants to be right now. And she's heavy too. She weighs like like twelve pounds now or something. There she goes. Yep, she's trying. She, (laughs) yeah, what's attention? Anyway, um, so I think that I think the people that grew up with the idea of the Les Paul as being Jimmy Page's primary guitar, this is not aimed at you anyway. This is aimed at Fender fans who want who want a piece of classic rock history, and I don't even think it's necessarily aimed specifically at. Uh, Jimmy Page fans. I mean, let's look. In the 1970s, what guitars were dominating stages? It was right. all Gibson. For for as you know, like hard rock was concerned. Well, Very yeah, rarely did you run into a Fender. 
And if it was, it was a strat, not a telly. Yeah. Um, so there's another component of this that people seem to miss, and that is the fact that this guitar graced a lot of hands before it ended up in Jimmy Page's. Right. Um, it was it was Jeff Beck's first. And right? there was and another player before that, something Orwell, uh, I think Olson Orwell. It, it, it escapes me. But he got it from him. He played right. it for for a couple, you know, a couple of months or whatever in Yardbirds, and then he he didn't sell it to Jimmy Page when he Jeff. Le- no, 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 no. It wasn't even that because I read the I read the interview with uh, Page or with uh, Jeff Beck where he talks about it. He says oh. when he left the Yardbirds, he was pissed and just walked out and basically left the guitar. And then Jimmy Page saw it there and just picked it up and said, "The hell with it. This is my guitar now." And then. <laughs> And then almost literally a, picking up the mantle. And then like 30 years later, they had a conversation about it. And Jimmy Page gave him a very rare um, gypsy jazz guitar as yeah. payment for the fact that he had been using that, that Telecaster for years. He still plays that Telecaster. He still has it. So say he still, yeah, he said something about, they got it 110%. He got one in it. A lot of people will, will tell you that Jimmy Page's primary studio guitar was that Telecaster. I don't yeah. know if that's true or not. There are certainly some songs like rock and roll. That's definitely some sort of Gibson. Um, but yeah. that Telecaster is on a lot of fucking recordings from them. And well, I think he's that's, still using it as a secret weapon. Well, they say that that's the one that uh, is the Stairway to Heaven solo, right? Yes, I, I believe they're probably correct on that. It's definitely yeah, a Telecaster believe, on that song, but I believe that was probably that Telecaster specifically. Yeah, um, yeah I could believe that. Because everybody thinks it's the it's the you know the guest G or the, or Les Paul because live he would either do it on a Les Paul or he would have the twelve you know string six used, string. Do you know SG, why but... he preferred Les Pauls and stuff live? Think about it. Why humbucking pickups? Yep, humbuckers. And that no band had a stage show as big as Led Zeppelin's at that time. So for them, yeah. maybe the Beatles or you know somebody like that or, or Wings or whoever. Um, for the for the amount of lights and craziness they had going on, you could not yeah. imagine what that would no. be like for noise. This, right. Well, that's why Gilmore used. Uh, everybody talks about Gilmore's EMGs. Those that was a live thing. That was not a studio thing. Um, his EMGs were because live, he needed to be able to control that guitar. We talked about that with Steve Stein yesterday about how important it is for a uh, um, an active guitar. I know that when I play bass. I prefer an active bass to a passive bass any day of the week. And I know I get, I would get pushback here and there from the bass players too. But honestly, even in a humbucker bass, I, I preferred an EMG for control of the sound. I can get my sound plugged into anything. I can go into a DI box, go direct. I still have my sound. Yeah. So the, the, the end all story of this is I don't particularly want the page telly. I will try no. it out if I get the chance to. Yeah. Um, if it ends up being a cool guitar, maybe. But I, so I'm in the market for Telecaster anyway. Everybody knows I've talked yep. about it on the show. Um, so if I try it out and I like it, that might be a telly for me. But the reality is, I I think I think that telly is very basic. I think it's just a regular old Telecaster with with paint on it. I don't think there's anything crazy yeah. under the hood or, I mean, it's it's a bone stock '59 Telecaster. So, yeah, I can't. There's been no with all the stuff that that all the the um, 
voodoo that surrounds this Telecaster. None of it is about what somebody did to it. It's not like David Gilmore who talks about how he had like two or three necks on on his Stratocaster or how you know the the pickups have changed out over the years. Um, it's not like um, you know where you talk about um, uh, what's his name uh, ZZ Top. Uh, Billy, uh, Billy Gibbons, Gibbons and, and Curly Gates and Curly Gates and and all the stuff he's been through with his Les Pauls and stuff. It's not like that at all. It's just here's a here's a um, telecast that came from one famous player came to Jeff Beck who got pissed off and walks out of a room, you know. And my, now Jimmy Page had it. My bigger, you know what? That of of those two players, the the guitar they really need to make a clone of is the uh, which is gone, which is why they can't do it is the Seymour uh, Duncan Les Paul that was given to, to Jeff Beck, the one yeah. with the dual humbuckers that was used all over Blow by Blow. Um, that guitar, to me, is legendary. It was, was used all stolen? Blow- no, he sold it. Ooh. Um, that guitar is legendary to me just because it was used on Because We've Ended His Lover. Yeah. And yeah. even though it's used on all over that record, um, and it is, I mean, just a legendary sound, I'm sure if they went to to Seymour Duncan, he's got notes on what was in that guitar, and they could probably make a pretty good repro. Um, But, again, we don't have the guitar as a model. I think that's less likely to happen. Uh, But it's a cool idea, right? So, anyway, moving on. Oh, uh, it seems like there was something else I wanted to mention about that. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of the mythology surrounding this guitar is questionable, too. You got Jeff Beck saying that it was just taken by Jimmy Page. I don't think Jimmy Page has ever corroborated that. I think he's always said that I paid him like 150 bucks for it or something. Jimmy Page is such a statesman. I mean, when you see him and you you see interviews, he with looks him, like George Washington now. Yeah, he's such an elderly statesman. He's always. I mean, he came across a little the great, bit the great curly hair thing that's down to his shoulders. Yep. I mean, all he needs is some some face powder, and he's yeah. and he's George Washington. Yeah, he, he's up there. Full score seven years ago, which was actually uh, Abraham Lincoln. But yeah, hey, but cl- I don't remember enough. any good. You know, I, I could never tell a lie. Yeah. I guess that is that is that George Washington. I'm sure Jimmy can tell a lie. Let me tell you. I, you guys can can. Let's tell, ask the I, sharks I in that terrible. California hotel. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, I went there. <laughs> I, I never, ever, ever did well in history. I I was like, Mister in history. Even in college, hey. I was like. Hey, I was like, C is good enough. Any guy that's that obsessed with Alistair Crowley, uh, yeah. there's probably a very good chance he could lie to you. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm saying. Good. There's our Halloween connection. Alistair yeah. Crowley, Jimmy Page, yeah. Fender yeah. Telecaster. The yeah. circle, the, the, the triangle of evil is complete. The circle. Okay. Of evil. <laughs> we had one other thing. Yes, we do. Um, so since we were talking about Debbie ever earlier in this episode, there was a conversation going on in a special secret place with some special secret people. And I have corroborated this by talking to some other special secret people. Um, and Whose names will be on There's a lot of people saying that the last couple of years has been extremely hard on the boutique, boutique pedal business. Now, um, Jim and I have kind of joked about this off and on. I think we've mentioned it on the show before that we feel that there's a boutique, there's a, a boutique bubble right now. Okay. Right. Everybody is making something boutique. I'll be at a pedal, a guitar cables. Now, uh, pedal boards, all kinds of insanity. Um, 
And we don't have that big a market in the guitar world, in the guitar community, to sustain this kind of behavior. And I think so. Some people have been saying so basically since Trump got in office, this is this is the way it's been portrayed by certain people. Since Trump got in office, the economy for buying uh, boutique gear is in the shitter. Now, I think that's because didn't didn't President Trump come out and uh, um, say that he was building a wall around he's, no, Portland, he's gonna, Oregon? He's going to issue an executive order to ban all boutique equipment coming out of Portland, that's, Oregon. Out. Everything <laughs> in Portland, Oregon is has got like a twenty five percent. Keep tax. it keep it weird, Portland. That's all I can say. Keep it weird. Keep we're up just, the fort. It, it, we're, you, just, we're just we're just making out of Portland because almost everything. Years. Yeah, almost everything you see, I think, with the exception of Keeley and Wampler, um, comes out of Portland when it comes to boutique it se- It seems very frequently that handmade, handmade, uh, handmade boutique goods are coming out of Portland. And that doesn't even just mean pedals. How many breweries and craft beers are coming oh, yeah, out of there's, Portland? Yep, uh, there's that, too. So the dream yep. is alive. The dream is yep. alive in Portland, for those of you who are well-versed. Um, Don't shave your beards, guys. Don't yeah. shave your beards. So the whole point is that um, I want to talk about this in in the sense that this is a calamity. It's a tragedy, right? And then I want to talk about this from a realistic perspective. So if if the pedal world is collapsing, what does this mean? This means that we're going to get a lot less variety in pedals, right? All right. All right. I'm going to I'm going to come up against that right away. Go ahead. I'm going to come up right against it. So I saw Anderton's and Chappers put up a thing today that it was how Lee and Rob met really funny, um, uh, video by the way, folks. And, um, they don't do a lot of playing in it. It's more about looking back. And one of the things that they're, they talk about in there is how right now they had a, they had an acronym, um, just J a, just another, uh, J a T F S just another can tube screamer. J-A-F-T-S, Jafts. And and the thing is that that that's what you've got right now is really, I mean, I, I was about to say the same thing. It, in the boutique world, what it should be is, look, look, we're doing something so unique and so different and so new. We talked about this, that it's mind-blowing. Yeah. But I think that, that now, I don't think that the bubble is because the boutique, there's so many boutique companies. I think it's the bubble is because I can do it too, you know, and, and maybe not. I think, uh, the, I, I personally, we're going to talk about the bubble and the cause of it. I think it's that there's only a certain amount of money to go around. And believe me, there are people, if you gave them, a limit, if they went, if they won that $1.6 billion, right, there are people out there that would buy every single Tube Screamer clone in the market. They're out there. I mean, uh, the fact is their money is limited, and so they can't do that. Now, the question is... We have to live in the real world. If you're going to the store and you need a delay, and the new Tube Screamer's out from whoever, and you're like, man, I really need this delay, are you going to buy the Tube Screamer or the delay? I think the practical amongst us, which is probably most of us, would buy the delay because they'd say, well, I already have a Tube Screamer at home. I don't need a new one. I can wait. Um... There are people that would go the other way and be like, you know what? I really need to dirt pedal more and I'll just leave the delay until later. Yeah. Those are the ones that, that have been fostering this increased growth. And I'm making wild motions with my hands. It looks like I'm a turkey right now. Um, ultimately, I I have a hard time believing um, that 
this is a this is a result of there being five thousand different tube screamers on the market. But I also have a hard time not believing that. Um, can I can I um can I interject on something else too sure. that, that affects the market? I don't think there's ever been a larger market as a result of the people that play four songs on Sunday mornings and afternoons as there is now. Right now. And, and, yes. And right now. That that market is starting to I level think, off. I think it peaked, and as people are getting more and more into using the guitar as a pad, meaning a synthesizer pad in a uh, in a church setting, it's becoming less and less important for you to have every freaking pedal on your board. Um, I remember seeing when the boutique pedal craze in churches was at its peak, and you had to have a four thousand dollar PRS and a you know five thousand dollar Dumble clone behind you. And a pedal board and two pedal boards connected together with the daisy chain. I, I I can remember seeing crazy stuff like that going on, and sitting there going, "This is worship. You're playing four songs, and really your job is to play a pad." So for me, I kind of look at that situation and go, "This is people coming to their senses." Now, does this mean the middle class is shrinking? Who knows? I'm not going to get into the the technical nitty gritty of the economy, but what I will say is this. The, the the pedal companies are actually feeling this, and that's why they're talking about it. And it's not just pedal companies. It's guitar companies, too. The boutique guitar manufacturers, boutique cable builders, boutique um, – basically anybody who is a small shop, like less than three people, is feeling yeah, this boutique really boutique amp bad. builders. Um, when you think about it, when you think about your numbers per guitar player, let's just say per guitar player, you've got more pedals than guitars, more guitars than amps, and more um, – and mm, you, your your uh, cables may vary, your but I'm just saying that that some <laughs> people will have one, maybe two amps, and uh, you know, like a, a gigging amp, a practice amp, maybe a second, like a lunchbox amp for for mobility. Even even the pros, and then you've got um, your uh, and even the pros that have got multiple amps on stage. Those are the ones they do on stage, but they don't. That's not what they mic up at home. Um, Another uh, oh you know what I just saw this because I was talking um, watching Rick Beato and I thought about this so th- there has never been so many home studios either and what Correct. are home studios buy they buy pedals and they buy heads not necessarily cabinets no yeah heads right so um, again we've got a bubble that has that bubble has that market saturated. To a now, point where I'm, I'm done playing Satan's advocate. Um, I'm going to tell you what I think is really happening. And you can tell me whether you agree with me or not. I think what's happening is so in the beginning of this boutique pedal craze, the big companies, your Digitex, your bosses, your uh, Roland's, your uh, insert other major companies, your Marshall, Fender, Gibson. They all didn't know what the fuck to do. They're looking at this and going. These people are more agile than us, so they can put out different designs faster and more cheaply. And they can vary it up and make things cool and fresh for the moment, right? So if you look at your average under 30 guitar player right now, they're pretty hipster. I'm not saying they are hipsters. What I am saying is that they are more in tune with what's going on at any given moment. Um, And so for them, they have to have the new, unique, weird design that's coming out from somebody. That's why they're not as concerned with the brand, the brand label on the headstock. So Fender has done a really good job of the last three years 
of appealing to that market by doing things like the Time Machine series. It's not my cup of tea, but I know a lot of people who lost their fucking minds when they saw those things. Um, other examples are like that that Square Fifty One Telly and some different things that they've done that, that were clearly aimed at the modding community. Um, and they took note. They realized their pickups weren't good enough because everybody was replacing with Lawlers and all the other smaller boutique brands. So they started including custom shop pickups in a lot of their guitars. They started making custom shop pickups available for sale. Um, they revamped their noiseless pickup line. They got, they finally started producing a decent fucking humbar, humbucker out of Fender. That that was amazing. Um, I don't think Gibson weathered the storm as well. I think they've kind of just now started to pull themselves together a little bit. And I think we're starting to see a resurgence in people interested in Gibson designs um, that aren't necessarily the guys that wanted them, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and I think uh, like boss, they just got their sea legs. Okay. Um, if you look at some of the effect, some of the effects things that they put out in the last three years, I mean, really the ES five and the ES eight, those switching systems, who are you appealing to? Not most pros have five or six pedals on their board at max. And an ESA is really not all that necessary for them, but for the guys that play in church and they got 20 pedals on a, on a pedal train, pedal train, uh, Terra. I mean, yeah, that's what you want. You want an ESA, you want a switching system that's capable of mini programming and all that craziness. Um, some pros do use that stuff, but I think that's a little less likely than people like to make out. Um, the pros that really need that kind of a heavy switching system. A lot of them are still going to Bradshaw and other companies. To, yeah. To get yep. Yeah. Or even now the gig rig has become extremely popular for that. Um, yep. and that's not saying that everybody's doing it. I mean, obviously you've got your, uh, your smaller people, like I don't want to say smaller, but like Guthrie Gavon still uses the gig rig. I mean, he's not, uh, he's not having a Bradshaw rig, but remember these guys have got to remain flexible too. And so in a lot of the cases, if you're Steve Vai, you're touring as Steve Vai, right? You're not touring with Toto and everybody else and have to have a new board every, every time you go out. Um, so those kind of systems work well for those, those people. The other thing that boss did was they started introducing, uh, the Waza line, which is basically boutique versions of their most popular pedals and by popular they even started digging it back into their back catalog you know about waza we've talked about in the show before if you haven't roll roll back a few episodes you'll hear me uh, go on and on about the pedal zone um the whole thing that i see going on there is that these companies these major companies are now playing the boutique game and they're doing it at a compelling price point in most cases which means if you're sitting there and you're looking at private builder a and you go, you know, Private Builder A, if I buy this guitar from him, I'm going to have next to no resale value based on what I put in. If I spend $3,000 on Private Builder A's guitar, when I sell it, I'm going to get 1000 for it. Whereas if I spend $3,000 on a, on a Fender custom shop, you know, some relic thing that, that's appealing to, to my sensibilities right now, um, I'm going to be able to sell that thing for $2,500 or $2,400. And so for them, like, that's a much better value proposition. Also, you know, looking at boss pedals, I, yeah, you might lose value on them, but they're boss pedals. You know that they're going to work. Most people, I, I think, still have a pretty positive impression of boss. Um, and there are other companies out there that you can buy that are name brand boutique now. I mean, Wampler is what I would consider name brand boutique. Cattle and Bread is name brand boutique. Keely. Um, Voodoo Lab, Keely. All of these companies produce a large number of pedals and have a, a good backing behind them. I would I would argue that JHS has got uh, JHS has is exactly the same thing. Um, yep. He would he would now be his pedal company would now be in line with that. Um, so my point is 
that we've seen. And, and actually, it's funny to see the boutique guys actually competing with boutique guys, but being like the evil empire, right? To think about Keeley yeah. actually like subjugating people like, well, I hate to use this as an example we were talking about earlier, Debbie Evers company, for example. Um, it, it's interesting to think about it from that perspective that we now have come full circle and we have these brands that are now risen to the top. And I think we're still going to continue to see that. I think there are certain brands that that will continue to rise up um, and that won't necessarily be relegated to the trash bin of history. I think a yeah. perfect example of that, and Jim can shoot me if he likes, is Chase Bliss because they do offer an, a unique product. I think yeah, I've unique, never had anything from Chase Bliss. I think the uniqueness says a lot about how you're going to stay in this world. And uh, companies that don't provide something unique, they go the way of the dinosaur. Um, case in point, um, I'm trying to think about. So we look back at somebody like uh, Love Pedal. Love Pedal was huge for a while. And now Love Pedal is like it, it's been relegated basically to a much smaller company. Um, I think they actually, I it, either they got sold or they have partnered with somebody else or something along the way. Um, I'm not really clear on what happened there, but my but my point is that these companies that were basically just modifying tube screamers and then selling it as their own product, a lot of them are starting to disappear. And um, I don't know that that's a bad thing for the market. I think that requires builders to become more ingenious to be successful. Um, and I think that's okay. I don't think I don't see any problem with somebody having to actually like put some real design effort forward in order to start producing a quality product in order to produce sales. Um, that's where I'm coming from. I've seen this going on and I, and it, it, it's very clear to me that the trend is mainstream boutique. In other words, what can you do to compete with the small builders who you didn't think you could compete with five years ago? And these companies have retooled and they're, and they're thinking about things in a very different way than they used to. Um, it's very, it's a shame uh, that this company is being kind of mismanaged the way it is right now. But DOD Digitech, Harman Kardon, that is Harman Kardon. No, you, you know what I'm talking about though. Harman Audio, or yeah. whatever the company yeah. that actually owns Digitech DOD, they were bought by Samsung. Samsung is gutting the company. Um, you can see what's happening there. It's kind of a shame. I'm not a big Digitech fan. I've only ever had one Digitech pedal I liked, and that was a Supernatural Reverb, um, which is a great pedal by the way. But to to look at their product line and see how they revamped it. They discontinued the supernatural and then they and they made all these very boutique looking enclosures. Um, like the dirty robot, the Nautilus chorus. Yep. The, yep you know, I and, those. and it, that's who they were appealing to. And it was very obvious that that's who they were appealing to. Um I remember going into a guitar center about ten years ago and saying, you know, what do you guys got in the way of boutique pedals? You know, it was in Madison, Wisconsin, all places, so they just looked at me like I was fucking insane. Um, but they go they go, Well, we got Digitech hardware. And I was like, Really? And <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, so I, honestly, though, if you'd said that to me now with the with the Digitech line that they you know are discontinuing or like getting get or at least sorting through or whatever they're doing, I would kind of laugh and go, "Yeah, those are kind of more boutique aim, but they're really not boutique pedals." Like I get it. Um, now I don't care if it's boutique or not. Like I go into a store, I'll be like, "Where's your overdrive?" So I'll be like, oh, "Just give me that SD one." <laughs> um. But um, I'm now starting to understand just based on seeing the, the what people are buying when I go into the store. They're not buying this stuff anymore. And you know what? I know the pedal builders don't want to admit it, but if the economy is slightly better, people are buying amps over pedals again and or, and or guitars. 
and there's a marked shift there. People buy pedals when the market sucks. And I know people don't yeah. want to admit that, but I've heard, I've actually heard people say that to me from the from pedal builders um, who have said that in, to me and other people in forums. When the economy is in the crapper, it's a lot easier to, to, to fork over 170 bucks for a pedal than it is 500 bucks or $1,000 for an amp. Yeah, definitely. So I think that's one of the reasons, I mean, other than space, obviously, um, one of the biggest reasons that pedals sell over amps. They're cheaper, it's e- and it's easier to turn them. So now, so now when you look at the situation, you go, if the economy's starting to perk up a little bit, would you rather have an amp or a pedal? And you know what? Honestly, like, I used to be the guy that was like, you know, I thought I think pedals are really cool. Like, I'd rather have a couple pedals. But now I'm starting to be like, you know what? Fuck pedals. Like, I don't, they don't give me enough return on my investment, meaning I don't feel like I have the relationship with them I do with either a guitar or an amp. And so in most cases... I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose a guitar or an amp. It's going to cost me a lot more money, but at the end of the day, I'll end up more satisfied. And, and long-term, if I do have to sell a guitar, I feel like I'm going to get more out of it than I will pedal. Um, your mileage, oh, may, day, your mileage may vary, but the point is, um, in dealing with our Halloween theme here, if the boutique market is ending, what does that mean for you? Sound off in the group. Let us know what you think. Um, yeah. I personally, I don't think it's going to affect me much. Um, doesn't affect me. Although I will say this, if we see some of the smaller boutique, like guitar companies go out of business, um, that's going to affect the smaller guys like Schecter, LTESP, uh, companies that are kind of on the fringe, like GNL would be one of them, I, I suppose. Um, and I get concerned that some of the guitars that I like will, d- will dry up. They won't, you won't be able to find them. Um, maybe not that they're not produced, but that you won't be able to find them. And that becomes concerning to me. Um, I also get concerned that mom and pops who have made stock and trade and selling boutique stuff, if boutique stuff starts to go the way of the dinosaur, it's going to be harder for them to keep the doors open. It's bad for bad for business. Well, I mean, I, I think we could do a whole episode on um, the fact that, I, you know, as much as I'm not crazy about buying stuff sight unseen, I, I have bought pedals. Obviously, I bought almost all my pedals. Pedals are a lot easier to make that investment in sight unseen. That's though, right. Aren't they? And yeah, and uh, my amp was sight unseen. My newest amp was sight unseen. So I think that um, when it comes to something like that, uh, um, there we're seeing a large uh, Sweetwater. Obviously, um, is the is probably one of the most popular, if not the biggest. Uh, online retailer i think i remember seeing somewhere recently that they are the biggest online retailer now yeah at least in the states right and so we're i mean um and with the advent of things like harley benton um and more companies uh doing more things online and giving them um you know uh look at how many things sweetwater's got versions that are sweetwater exclusive you know yep so I think we're going to see more of that um, down the line. Um, certainly it's easier on a Brian Wampler because Sweetwater is only going to um, need uh, a minimal number of pedals. Until, you know, their, and, their and, stock is going to be more just in time than something like a, a guitar center that and, needs to put them in stores. And those guys, specifically like your Keeleys and your Wamplers, have been through this already. Okay, right. most people don't realize this, but there was a downturn in the boutique pedal market like 2007, 2000, uh, 2008 that was horrendous. And I, I think this one it was 2007, 2008, sounds right, um, where a lot of really small builders just went kaput. 
Um, and it was just because of a change in the economy and a change in the way people were, you know, perceiving the market. So they weren't buying. Um, the other thing is, you know, we've talked about market saturation. This is probably also having a small effect on it. A service like Reverb, where you could just go buy your pedals used and you can pretty much find anything you want to look for, uh, is certainly impacting these builders' bottom line. If there only needs to be 200, pedal, 200 copies of your pedal out there, I mean, honestly, then that's going to stay at 200 because people just go buy them on, buy and trade them on Reverb. And there are so many guys, and, I, and I'm not pointing the finger at anybody in particular, but some other podcasts do this, where they don't really, they don't really fall in love with a pedal. They use it for a couple of weeks and they get bored with it and then they sell it and get another one. And that's fine. Like, I, I totally understand that. Um, but that's also having an effect on the marketplace. And you know there are more and more people doing that, especially with the rise of guitar media like YouTube and podcasts and all these things that people are talking about that. Um, so just, you know, bear that in mind. Uh, if you're wanting to try a pedal out, buy used. Don't buy a new it's not necessarily a bad thing for, for, you know, some of these businesses to collapse. I know it's, it's a terrible personal situation, but in terms of, you know, the, the state of products and products getting better, you want to kind of level the playing field every once in a while. Um, and you do that by, you know, uh, separating the men from the boys, I guess. Um, that's a terribly sexist way of saying it, but it's, it's Thunderdome out there, you know, two tube screamers enter one tube screamer leave. And that's the way this is going to work. And so, we're going to whittle the guess, market down. I guess the PC way of saying that would be is separating the um, adults from the children. Yes. Um, <laughs> my, I, I'd also um, like to say that, so uh, I was watching an interview with a bunch of YouTubers. Uh, GitCon was recently uh, posted on YouTube, of course. Sure, sure. And you know I'm not a great big fan of GitCon, but I do like to watch some of the stuff that came out of it. And one of the, one of the interesting interviews was that Pete Thorne, uh, or not Pete Thorne, um, Phil X was talking about his rig. They they asked a bunch of the folks on there, and the club guy, I think I think he's called Gear Man Dude, um, was on there, and and he referred to how he's got to keep his, you know, like most of us, he's got to be relatively compact for clubs. And he was talking about, you know, the musicians he keeps up with. Well, then the guy that's backing up, um, uh, who's the lead singer that used to be with, with, um, uh, Operation Mind Crime, uh, Queensryche. Jeff Tate. Jeff Tate. So or Jeff Tate. I like to call him Jeff player. Tainted. Yes, Jeff Tainted. No, Jeff Tainted. Uh, anyway, Jeff Tate's, um, he's, he's got it. His band now is called Operation Mind Crime. Uh, yes. Uh, I've been listening to, uh, Queensryche the last couple of days. So, to hear this, I, I I will have to talk about Jeff Tate when we get done with this. Well, anyway, so Jeff Tate's guitar player is on there, and he was talking about how he's playing through a Kemper. It's all modeled, no amps anywhere, and in-ears. That's it. That's all you get. No wedges, no nothing. And um, that's because, I mean, let's face it, Jeff Tate is playing clubs now. He's not playing huge yeah, places. Yeah. And so then they got to Phil X, who's the, who was the only person on the panel that's playing yeah, like Venues, big stadiums like, and yeah, he's Bon Jovi. Uh, you know, he replaced um Or at least he was. I don't know if he's still doing it or not. But yeah, he yeah. is. Okay. And that's that's what he was referring to. So he was talking about how he will not give up his amp for anything. And he will not go to that um that state. Yeah, and we'll um, see when that starts kill costing him gigs well, how that works out. 
Well, yeah. Well, I mean, well, he's a full-on member of. Uh, uh, he's not a hired gun for Bon Jovi anymore. He's been a full-on member. Yeah, for and years. so is Richie Sambora. <laughs> yeah, and I know he got fired too. Yeah, but I'm just, exactly. Yeah. But I'm just saying that. Um, so Phil X is, you know, he was talking about how he he found a certain spot on the stage recently, and um, he wants to find it again when they go to Japan because, and that's where he can stand because really his amps. Even though he's the guy that I t- I said was the big holdout, guess where his amps are? Under the stage. Under the stage. He yep. had to find one spot on the stage. He was like, yeah, I was standing in this one spot, and I was able to get feedback. He goes, finally. And he goes, so I'm going to have them mark the stage, because you know they, they build and tear down the stages, right? So he said, I'm going to mark the stage exactly where it is, so that where my amp is exactly where it is, so that he can reproduce that. So if he needs to go there and get that again, he can. That's how bad it is. But what I'm getting at here, because it, it does come back to that pedal thing and the whole amp thing, you you own what will be. I I have no doubt, and I and I know Wampler was talking about this. I have no doubt that the future of pedals is going to be in. You'll have something like an amp one. And you'll have something like your your line six helix. This isn't the future. That is it. It's here already. Well, I'm just saying that it won't be too long, and the old guys will be playing them. Can I talk about the uh, the dinosaur that I saw the yeah. other night? Okay, yeah. so I I went. <laughs> I had the lovely pleasure of seeing a certain Mister Ingve Malmstein at the local club where I also got to see Buckethead. Um. Okay. Now, you've seen Buckethead. You know he still uses cabs on stage. Uh, his stage volume is still pretty quiet, relatively. Um, yep. Ingve Malmsteen, forget it, okay? I am so glad I brought my earplugs. Uh, he has, you know, of course, if anybody's seen it, he has the Great Wall of Malmsteen, which is this giant wall of marshals that's on stage. There are two man-made objects that you can see from space. One is the Great Wall of China. The other is Ingve's Wall of Marshals. Um, and I'm not joking. Like it is, um, I, I posted video in the group. Uh, I posted additional video on my own Facebook page. You see that thing and it is, it is a sight to behold. There was a time when that was the norm in the 1970s where they might actually be using all the cabs. Now, Ingvay did not use all the cabs. I I will say this right now. He had four heads going two on each side of the stage. And I know because I watched him adjust them. And then he also had four cabs going. So basically what he had was four half stacks. Granted, these are 100 watt plexi heads and they don't make them like that anymore. Those motherfuckers were loud. Okay. Oh yeah. To the point where I'm not sure I was hearing much out of the PA from, (laughs) from his guitar and the way he was positioned on stage, he pretty much took up the entire stage. Now, rightfully so. I mean, the guy's doing guitar tosses and running around like a maniac. I don't know how he does it because he's got to be at least 60 years old at this point. Um, he has to be a model of health. Anyway, other than whatever substance abuse that he was under during the 80s. Um, I will say this. I, I took my earplugs out for two songs. It hurt, but it was the most glorious sound I have ever heard in my life. And I totally understand somebody like Phil X saying, I want amps on stage. However... With guitar becoming the less dominant part of music as we go forward, and that's the state of the affairs right now, folks. 
we don't have as much clout as we used to, and especially not on pop stages. I know Bon Jovi is kind of a pop rock stage, and so right. he can get away with it. And he's more guitar rock. And when you think about it, the new Greta Van Fleet, that is more guitar rock. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we see more of that. I would hope, just for the guitar players. I sake. would, yeah. Um, I would love and even they are sensible, though. They're not going around with eight, you know, with eight marshals. Yeah, well, and, that's and why I posted all, that, you know. Yeah, that gig rundown. Um, I can definitely see the stage just being quieter. I think we're going to see more things like ISO boxes before we see the, you know, the, hey, we're just going to use a pedal revolution. I think we're right there. I just don't think we're quite there yet. Um, I would like to see good ISO boxes. I think that would be a very, very cool thing to happen. Like if you could buy a road case that was also an ISO box and had an XLR out on it. Somebody make this, I'll buy one. Um, that'll fit, you know, a standard one by twelve cab or whatever, and then you can use that, and you can take that into a bar and you can crank your amp up, and still have a virtually silent stage, like much quieter than you would normally have. Um, I think we're moving towards that, uh, and I could definitely see there's still being some issues like feedback generation, those kinds of things. But you know, how often do you script into what you're doing feedback? I mean, yes, I know there are times where I do it, but I'm usually hitting the harmonic, and that'll sustain forever if the amp's loud enough, if you're getting enough volume, and even out of a wedge. I mean, it'll sustain. Uh, it's when you want to get that natural feedback thing where a note, like you just regularly play, sustains in the feedback. That's rarity. You can't really build a set around it. And I, even if you do have the cabs coming up underneath the stage in the right way and you have it marked off the next, it's got a lot to do with room acoustics, I would suspect, as well. Um, and I've tried to do that before, too, where I knew that, like, you know, six feet in front of my amp, if I'm standing here and I kind of move over a little bit, like, I can get my, my guitar to sustain that way. It doesn't work in all environments, at least in not, not my estimation. Um, it's one of those things where you have to be uh, aware of the acoustics of the room and make that happen. So, yes, Phil X can use that as an excuse to have amps. Uh, his excuse is purely that he likes amps. And that's okay. That's yeah. not, that's really not Oh, he admitted that. He admitted that his excuse is that he loves amps, and he, and he will can not get eat. away. And he can get away with it now. But that's what I—that's right. what I take issue with. But that's because John Bon Jovi has the has the money. They've got the the money. If they, John they, Bon Jovi showed up tomorrow and said we're going silent stage, Phil X would fucking do it. Oh, of course he would. He can pretend like he wouldn't all day long, but he but he would because he wants the money. Oh yeah, you don't think that he wants to go back to doing YouTube videos, do you? What's that? You're you're muted. He can do the whole rock star thing all he wants. Yes. Um, but that does not necessarily mean that he's being truthful. And that's why I don't like Phil X. I've noticed him saying things like that that are really cocky. It's like, well, you know, I don't have to do this because I'm doing this now. And like, listen, dude, you're just like everybody else. You're, you, you, Pete Thorne is a, is a more successful gigging guitarist <laughs> than you and has done gigs like yours before. And I'll tell you right now, Pete Thorne will tell you, if you want to get that gig, what do you do? You say yes. You don't well, sit Pete there and Thorne act like you're Pete Thorne was the guy in it. charge, by the way. And yeah. he, he kind of was giving him that. Um, it, it was pretty funny. It's a good, it, you know, again, I'm not crazy about that whole thing, but, um, you know, the whole GetCon thing. I actually think this year uh, was kind of floppy. All right. Let me let me talk about Jeff Tate for a minute before, we, before we're out. Because yes. we're, we're an hour and 21. Won't take me long to talk about Jeff Tate. 
Oh, it, wait. Ingway is only one year older than me, by the way. One year and one month. He's 13 months older than I am. How many more hours do you think he would send it than you? I know. <laughs> Probably about five or six more hours than me. Uh, five or six hundred more, or five hundred six hundred thousand more hours. I believe I am firm a firm believer that Ingve probably played guitar in the fucking shower when I was nineteen. <laughs> he was he was the lead he was the lead uh, of Alcatraz. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll put that I one in perspective. I was still trying to figure out what the fuck he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> he was taking some sort of narcotic to be able to stay up and play that many hours at Woodshed. <laughs> But he's been he's been married to the same woman since 1999. Yes, uh, and that fir- that yeah. first uh, Amber Dawn, that first wife, I yep. have heard some horror stories about that situation. Yeah. Read up, listeners. I'm not going to get on the gossip train for this one. You can go read up on that. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> we are going to talk about Jeff Tate for a minute, though. So if you're not aware, uh, there's a little band called Queensryche, and Queensryche was my understanding is pretty popular with a certain group of people in the early nineties when they came out with operation mind crime. And then the album that had silent lucidity on it. And I, the name escapes me right now. Yeah, it was operation mind crime too. <laughs> no, 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 no. Operation. Mind, we're getting there. I, that I'm going to specifically target that album. Okay. <laughs> no, I was just so joking. I'm a big fan of operation mind crime. I think it's one of the greatest albums of, you know, the era that it was produced in. Um, it is certainly one of the top 10, um, concept albums of all time and is probably one of my my picks for top 10 albums of all time um it's got a little something for everybody it takes the rock and roll excess of the 1980s hair metal scene and turns it on its head by mixing it with elements of pink floyd and some subtle progressive elements outside of pink floyd to produce a record that talks about um societal ills at that time he takes they take shots at um the uh the clergy the clergy scandals of the 80s that's what I'm going to call them um they take shots at the media they take shots at uh the government that does not represent us which i think we're seeing more and more evidence that this has come to fruition a lot of the things that they were kind of saying there which hadn't quite happened yet are now happening to us right now i mean when we have a president that basically comes out and says I don't need to pay attention to the constitution. I'll just do whatever the fuck I want. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a clear indicator that some of the themes from that record are, are hold true today. Silent Lucidity, oh, Silent Lucidity is a great pop tune. There's other good songs on that record. Um, it's been a while since I've listened to it. So I can't name them by name. I would highly recommend you get both of those and check them out. Now here's, here's, here's where the, the, uh, hilarious, happens. Jeff Tate has one of had, I, I say had, cause it's past tense one of the greatest voices in in late 80s, early 90s rock slash metal music, okay? He had the pipes, he had like a four-octave range uh, and was capable of doing everything from the greatest of power ballads all the way up to the screaming high metal stuff that you'd find all over that kind of music. Um, he, he had a, a tremendous gift, uh, and it and it's displayed very well on both of those records. And then he threw it away. And the reason I say this is because drugs and alcohol and probably mostly cigarettes ruined his ability to sing. And it's pre- pretty clear. You go to any of the later albums and you could, he almost takes on the sound of Don Donegan of Disturbed. It, 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 and, and there are places where he's rapping 
because it's pretty clear that he doesn't have the range to actually carry the tune the way he wants to. I, it, it feels painful to listen to. And a perfect example of that is Operation Mindcrime 2, which I'm going to get to that too because I think there's some thematic problems there. So Operation Mindcrime, the original record, had a very concise focus and it was it was almost sarcastic and it had a good plot. And then all of a sudden they turned the plot on its head because it because it ended. OK, it, it, it had a clear end. And then when they made up the next one, it destroys the ending of the original. And so therefore makes the original useless. And and so if you're going to do that, that's fine. But you better make the second offering better than the original. And it's not it's not even close to as good as the original. There's nothing memorable on that album. And so. Um, for me, that was like a big fuck you to their fans when they couldn't even see past the fact that going back to do a sequel to Operation Mindcrime was a, was a mistake. Um, they should have looked for a spiritual successor. That's what they should have done. Um, it's almost yeah. it's almost like what uh, the Knack did on their second record. They made My Sharona, and then they made a carbon copy record. They made it. They made a carbon copy. They had Mind Sharona. They had Good Girls Don't. Yes. They had the whole thing, you know, and then they got lazy. Well, they got stone drunk and lazy. Yeah. Um, so here's where things get crazy. So Jeff Tate has a string of shitty albums with um, Queensryche. And Queensryche finally says, fuck you. We've had enough. And they fire Jeff Tate. Or Jeff Tate leaves, depending on which side of the story you believe. Right. Okay. Um, Jeff Tate says i am queensrike and says i'll just hire all new members and tour as queensrike and i don't know if there was some dissension there and like he thought queensrike was breaking up or something like that so then queensrike is also touring as queensrike so for like a good year there were two queensrikes uh one featuring jeff tate and one featuring a new singer and they both had the name they both Queen's had right. the same name yeah. and then they sued each other for yeah. control of the name. And then the judge said, I'm not going to rule on this right away. So it took three more. I was like two or three more years before he finally said, Jeff Tate, you have to change the fucking name of your band. You are not Queensryche. Okay. Yeah. So then he does and he changes it. And this is what, this is mind boggling to me. He changes the band, the band's name from Queensryche to operation mind crime. So he names them after their best after their best record, the one that everybody of knows course, from them. That way, if anybody's searching for Operation Mind Crime, because when people look for the band Queensryche, that that's one of the first well, things me, they go to. Well, let me tell you something: if you're going to go to what Operation Mind Crime show and expect him to perform stuff of, off of Operation Mind Crime, you're going to be sorely mistaken. Oh, because yeah. he can't sing it anymore. He just can't. Oh. There's no fucking oh. way. Look, I'm the first person to come to Axl Rose's defense when people say Axl Rose can't sing anymore. It's a bunch of bullshit. If if you say that, you didn't see him in the 80s because that's how he's always sang. Yeah. Just get used to it. Um, and so for them to, you know, th- th- this is a whole different situation is is where I'm going with this. Is that Jeff Tate ruined, I mean, literally ruined his voice. This is a horror story, okay? Jeff Tate ruined his voice. Um, and really can't perform that music anymore. And if he does, it's a pale imitation. And so, you know, to an extent, he either needs to find a new place, new career in music or get out. And I, unfortunately, man, like you need an opera coach or something to get you back where you were and you need to stop smoking 
and it, doing any other drugs that you're doing that are causing your your difficulties. And hopefully, maybe with some vocal surgery and working with a a coach, you can get back to where you were. But I don't I don't perceive that happening with him. I mean, I just don't. No, there's, we talked about that. The voice is a is an instrument, and it's based on a lot of things. Not the least of which is control of your air and your facial mask. And when you've destroyed it, you know, um, I just learned this about, um, I, I knew that Freddie Mercury had something weird with his overbite. Yep. I did not realize it was because he had four extra teeth. That's correct. So the reason that his, his overbite was so huge, he had these four extra teeth and it was, it made him look really weird. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I saw, I didn't meet him, but I did see him in was- the, um, in the, he was consider- he was considering having those removed at one point. Yeah, but he said he wouldn't because it's he didn't change know his- what it would right right due to his voice. So there is it doesn't make any sense in the world to think that you can just sit there and destroy your voice over and over and over and then expect okay you know what I'm just going to get it back. It doesn't happen. Your voice, unfortunately, um, your vocal cords are like a set of strings, and you've only got one. You break them, you break them. <clears throat> Look at uh, what's her face, um, Mariah Carey. Well, I'm operating under the assumption that he was not classically trained to begin with. Yeah. So he may have some spare some spare fuel in the tank. And it's like it's one of those possible. things where where you know, hey, if you go, they told Tom Jones this. Tom Jones, when he was um, getting started, was like, I really want to be able to extend my range and go and go really crazy with it. So he went and he saw an opera coach, and the opera coach told him, she said, I can extend your range a full octave both directions. But she said, if I do that, you're not going to sing like you anymore. And she's like, so you need to weigh your options. And he actually didn't go through with it because he began to understand like the style in which I'm working is not necessarily one that requires a four or five octave range. And so he didn't do it. Uh, and Jeff Tate's case, if you could extend his range an octave one way or the other, I mean, that would be incredible. Um, I don't think that could happen now. I think he's damaged his voice too much. However, he might be able to get back to where he was with a coach. So I don't yeah. know. It's it's just well, it's a sad story. Um, it sucks. And anytime I hear anything from Jeff Tate and his band, I just kind of like face palm because I'm like, this band shouldn't even yep. exist. Um, and and in reality, Jeff Tate himself shot himself in the foot when he decided he was going to tour as uh, uh, Queensrÿche. It's basically a big fuck you to the fans. And it's a big fuck you to the other band, which means that if you ever wanted any hope of reuniting with those guys for like a reunion tour or an Operation Mindcrime anniversary tour, that's never going to happen now. So I don't know. Like, what uh, I think either one of them would come back enough if there was enough money in it. Oh, sure, sure. But I don't think the money exists for that. I don't think that's no. one of those ones no. where somebody's going to say, I'll pay you a billion dollars to tour this. I don't right. I don't think that would ever happen for that band. So that's what I'm saying. Like realistically, I think he probably probably just shot himself in the foot. Right. Um, yeah. The you know the, the iron has been hot for the '90s. Um, uh, you know, people um, 90s, looking for '90s nostalgia. Right. That nostalgia, which I have to laugh when I think of '90s nostalgia. It's, somebody in his fifties laughs when he when he hears yeah, somebody. Yeah, because you're from, like you're like that was just like yesterday. 
That, yeah, I can remember telling it, them to get off my lawn. Yeah, wasn't it just last <laughs> week I was telling you '90s kids to get off my lawn, and and now you're back. You went like, like the cords got the nostalgia tour coming up. You know, like Jim, how you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, I, I it, it's just hard for me to even fathom that my music is not really. I see so many bands they're walking around. It's like we play classic rock. No, you do realize that. Remember when we were listening to that in the '70s and '80s, and it was the '50s. We called it oldies guess what 70s is now guys yeah guys it's oldies, oldies. <laughs> um i, I you know my, my my 90s nostalgia and the funny thing is i'm a 90s kid i grew up in the 90s my 90s nostalgia is like queensryche and uh like bands from the late 80s like queensryche guns and roses um and uh there was another band i was thinking of too um but but it's like hair oh winger it was like hair yep. metal. It was like hair metal stuff. And yeah. nobody else from the nineties cares about any of that shit. Like nope. they're, you know, they're looking at like, um, your, your corn, corn and stuff like that. Um, well, corn is really, corn is really early two thousands. Well, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. Yeah, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, bands like that. Uh, Nine Nirvana. Inch Nails. How can we forget fucking Nirvana? Oh gosh. Nirvana. Don't get me started. Well, they're, they're not going on tour. Foo Fighters. Uh, Nine Inch Nails. Um, yeah. Uh, those of you who love Nirvana, you'll you'll just love what we're gonna talk about. You mean Nirvana is out on the? You mean you mean Nine Inch Nails is out on the road, like subjugating their uh, their band members again? It, he, he, him, himself. Trent, Trent Reznor. Well, no, Trent yeah. Reznor hires a bunch of band members to go out with him, and then he pays them like nothing and makes them sleep in like the floor of the bus and shit. He's a dick. Yep. It's just pretty well documented at this point. Really? Yeah. I, I I'm not surprised. The guy in Filter, the one that was like paying people like two hundred dollars a night or whatever, uh, the dude yep. in Filter is he learned that from Trent Reznor. Really? Yes. He was he was Trent Reznor's like guitar player or something. Oh wow! Yeah. yeah so he's like, "Fuck it! No, I'm going to do the same thing to other people." This wow. is why the world sucks because yeah. nobody says I'm going to be better than that guy. They say, "You know what? He's rich. I'm going to do exactly what he does." What the hell is wrong with people? Uh. Ah! I see the guy from Filter. I'm gonna punch him right in his fucking mouth. <laughs> Here's my two hundred dollars a night, you son of a bitch. <laughs> anyway, so uh, it's been an hour and thirty six minutes. You got if I bit. was those guys, I'd be I'd be starting a cover band and tell them to piss up a rope. But hey, oh, he's had people quit on stage before. Literally turn I around would. to him and be like, "I quit." I, I'd probably quit before I ever got to the stage. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. I mean, I'm just not. It's great to have a, a gig where you know you're going to get two hundred dollars a night. Dude, you can't uh, even pay for a hotel a for that. So he's like basically making you live on the bus when he gets a nice fucking hotel. That's what that that was what was pissing people off. He'd get like a suite somewhere and stop every night and go and take a shower and like they haven't showered in like three days. You know, it, it's just disgusting. That's awful and that's a terrible way to treat people, especially people that you rely on to do your thing. Like Trent Reznor, I'm sorry. But if you want to perform and you want to treat people like that, then just plan on performing alone. Let's see how you carry a show by yourself, you dumbass. Why doesn't he just, you know, play the tracks at that point? Well, I'm not sure he's still doing it because I know people like Adrian Bellow have toured with him recently. And you know yeah. Adrian Bellow would not put up with that shit. No, uh, because I Because he's a draw in and of himself. Yep. So he doesn't need any of that fucking garbage. No. Um, well, we've been going on for at least an hour and a half now. No, yeah, we're at an hour, thir- an hour 37. Um yeah. The power of Christ compels you. Uh, stay oh. safe on Halloween. Count your candy. Make sure you yep. don't have any pins and needles in there. No explosive or devices, guns, guns yep. 
poison. Yep. Make sure there's no bombs. Yep. I know we're joking around about that stuff. I'm not really joking about you it. You know why? Because I'm I actually am I genuinely afraid that shit like that will happen. I'm not well, joking at all. Jim, do I have a do I have a smile on my face right now? No. I, I put a picture of you on the group that has a smile on your face. So that's too bad. You're now you everybody you're knows what you look like when you smile. You're I did I, I screenshotted you when Michonne was in front of you. <laughs> you're welcome. Happy Halloween. You should have screenshot of my middle finger, you son of a bitch. All right. I have been David. That's been a jackass, and we have been the practical guitarists. <laughs>